morning, I'm excited to introduce you to Dr. Bob Boyd. I'm going to ask our ushers, if you guys would, to uh, pass out cards. They're going to pass offering plates. We need everyone to have an index card, and Dr. Boyd's going to let you know what to do with that card in just a moment. So guys, if you would, come on and begin to pass those cards. Let me tell you how we got uh, Dr. Boyd with us this morning. I was meeting with Thomas Weekly back in the early fall, and I was talking about the year of hope, and I was talking about a burden that was on my heart which was that we as a congregation would be much more compelled and committed to sharing our faith with those that we know who are living their lives without Jesus. And also that we would understand that any life that has changed, it is done supernaturally by the power of God, which means we're going to have to pray. And so I was sharing with Thomas my desire for us as a congregation to be more prayerful and, and more evangelistic in our way of life. I didn't want a program. I was, I'm, I'm hoping for a way of life that says, Lord God, here we are. Here are those who need your grace. We are lifting them up to you, and we are taking to them the hope of glory. And Thomas immediately said, you need to get Dr. Bob Boyd. And so we began to, to work on, on scheduling him, and we are so grateful that, that we have been able to to get him to come. Uh, you received a brochure a little bit about his ministry on the way in. There's some information there in your bulletin uh, about him. But I am excited and thankful to God today to, to have come and preach for us, this, this family of faith who is yearning to, to be of use to the kingdom of God, to help more people anchor their life and hope in Jesus, to have Dr. Bob Boyd come and preach to us. So if you would, welcome Dr. Bob Boyd. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. Sometimes the most powerful things in life are things you can't even see. Take the air, for example. There's nothing flimsier than thin air. You can't see it. You can't touch it. It's like nothing. But when Hurricane Sandy slammed into New Jersey a couple of years ago, the wind, which is just thin air in motion, did billions and billions of dollars worth of damage. Maybe some of you remember the the footage, uh, the, the movie footage from, from that terrible event, you could see entire amusement parks ripped up out of the ground and thrown into the sea. Buildings, many stories tall, just collapsed. The town was devastated because of the power of the wind. Because the wind, even though it's invisible, is more powerful than, in some cases, almost uh, a great big bomb. Let's take another example, though. The lowly Adam. Just a hundred years ago, we knew that everything was made out of atoms. This podium, the air, you and me, the ground, the sky, everything's made out of these little tiny building blocks of matter. But we didn't know that the atom had any kind of special power at all. But today we know that a set of those atoms, in the form of an atomic bomb about the size of a suitcase, could level New York with its millions of people. Because the atom is invisible, but incredibly powerful. But today I'd like to talk about something that's more powerful than the wind. It's more powerful than the atom. It has the power to change your life. It has the power to shake Bowling Green in Kentucky. It has the power to change the world. What I'm speaking of is the power of prayer. You know, so often prayer seems to be just words uttered into the air to a God we can't see or feel. 
But slowly I've begun to discover over the years that prayer is the most powerful, the most dynamic, the most life-changing way that I could ever spend my time. And I'd like us to talk about the secret of prayer this morning. Jesus spoke of it in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. That's an easy address to remember. Matthew 21, 22. And Jesus said, And whatever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. What do you think about that? That's like a blank check from heaven. God is saying, if you ask, I will answer. In fact, he says in Matthew 7, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. I like the way it's put. Um, Throughout the Bible, God is saying, when you ask me, I'm going to answer you. And sometimes we think, what's wrong then? If that's true, then why don't I see God answering more of my prayers? He promises He will. And yet, there are many things, perhaps, that you prayed for for some time, maybe even years. And you think, I haven't really gotten the answer from God. And I think sometimes that's because we don't understand what it means to pray in the deepest sense of the word. We think that prayer is talking to God. Oh God, please give me this, please give me that. Gimme, gimme, gimme. By the way, my name is Jimmy. You know, and that's not prayer. Prayer is not just asking for things. Prayer is a conversation with God. And when we have a conversation with God, when we listen to Him and stop to hear what He has to say to us, And then, when we discern His will to pray for what He wants, that's when we see His power. I remember when I first saw the power of corporate prayer. I had been a pastor of a growing church, and we saw answers to prayer there. But but when I became an evangelist, it was really scary, because no longer did I have a regular church to go to and speak to. Instead, I was going to try to go outside the church and win people to Christ. And that was one scary thing. I mean, how do you do that? I somehow felt the call of God to be an evangelist, but I remember going to the first campus that we ever went to, Virginia Wesleyan College, and we wanted to shake that campus for Christ because even though it was a Wesleyan school, it was about as secular as any other school, and most of the students didn't know Christ. I'll never forget, we got there one afternoon, and we got together the heads of the different Christian groups to pray that our evangelistic outreach that we would have would be successful, that many would come to Christ. And we got together and I said, have you ever met together, you know, the head of Campus Crusade and the head of InterVarsity and the head of the Navigators and the different Christian groups, have you ever met to pray? We've never done it. And I said, well, you know, I believe God's going to do something special because Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that they, that is believers, may be one, that the world might know that the Father has sent me, that the Father has sent the Son. And I thought, you know, that's a recipe for success. And so let's get together and let's pray. And we prayed, and oh, we really prayed our hearts out. And later, a few weeks later, we had <clears throat> the event where a lot of people came from across the campus. It was a good time. Many people came to Christ. But what really excited me later was what we found out happened on the very afternoon that we prayed. We got these leaders of the Christian groups together, and we prayed, unknown to us, at the same time that we were praying, in a dorm, all the way across the campus, 
there was a young woman who was a Christian, and suddenly she felt a crushing weight on her. Now, she didn't know anything about our meeting. We didn't know anything about her. But that afternoon, this weight, like a thousand pounds, she was so bad, she fell to the floor. And she said, God, help me, help me. And she didn't know what was wrong. She said, God, help me. And finally, it came into her mind that she was a senior. And the words came into her mind, you have not shared me with your friends. They're going to hell. And she, she said, I'll do it. I'll tell them. And as soon as she said, I'll tell them, the weight came off. I mean, it was a spooky kind of thing, a weird thing. And she got up and she, you know, she wiped the tears out of, off her eyes and she thought, I better not put this off. So she went down the hall to the first door and knock, knock, knock. And the girl opened the door. She said, could I come in? So, of course, the gal said yes. She walked in. She said, you know, we've been really good friends for a long time. But I feel like I've never told you about the most important thing in my life. Could I tell you? And so the other girl said, well, sure. She said, well, the most important thing in my life is, is that, well, you know, we're going out with guys and we have boyfriends, that kind of thing. But, but the great lover of my soul is God. He's the most important person in my life. And the other girl said, what do you mean? She said, well, you see, the, the thing is that God loves you and me and he created us to be his children. But the problem is that God is over here and all of us, the Bible says, like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. In other words, all of us have said, I want to do what I want to do instead of what God wants me to do. And we've gone our way and... That's why the Bible says your sins have separated you from your God. And she said to her friend, you know, that's why we don't feel God's closeness. That's why we don't feel his love, because we've gone our own way to take charge of our own life. That's what the Bible calls sin, and we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and the, her friend was really tracking with her. She said, really? She said, yeah, well, that's, that's why life can be lonely, and that's why... You know, life can be a disaster because we're going our own way. But the beautiful thing is that God loves us so much, the Bible says, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And quoting John three sixteen, And she said, what this means is that God loves us so much that he came down to earth and lived in the body of a man and he died for our sins on the cross. He literally paid for every wrong thing you and I have ever done. And then he rose from the dead. And Jesus Christ, he's not just some figure in history. He's alive. And she said, and the thing is, we tend to go along our way without even thinking about him. But she said, one day, I, to her friend, she said, I said, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart. I want you to give me a new life. Because the Bible says that if you shall confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. And she said, you notice, she said to her friend, all we have to do is two things. Believe in Jesus Christ. And secondly, ask him to be our Lord. And she said, um, you know, this is really the greatest thing that I ever did was to invite Christ. I was going my way and I said, no, no, I want to turn and invite Christ to come into my heart. And he did and I followed him. That's the greatest thing I ever did. And she said, I, I just wanted you to know about it. And as she talked to this girl, the tears began to come down the 
her friend's face. And she said, can I have that too? And she said, well, yeah, that'd be great. Would you like to ask Christ into your life? And, and the girl said, yes, that's exactly what I want. Now, keep in mind, she, this conversation is going on over here. And on the other side of the campus, we're praying, you know. We have no idea about this. And the girl's friend, they, she said, I, I want Christ right now. And they knelt down on the floor. You know how women are so relational and sometimes emotional and everything. Well, they prayed. And, I mean, they were, you know, crying and hugging each other. It was just the greatest thing. And then after this was over, the Christian girl, you know, like she wiped the tears away. She thought, that was great. I should do that again. So she went down and she knocked on the next door. The girl opened and she said, uh, the young woman opened. She said, can I come talk to you? She went up and down her hall and led nine women to Jesus Christ that day. <laughs> Incredible. It was the beginning of a spiritual awakening on that campus. And you know something had happened on the very day that we came together for the first time, the different Christian groups, to pray. And God was saying something to me as a brand new uh, public speaker evangelist, I guess. And that is, if you will call my people to pray, and they'll come together and, and pour their hearts out to me, I will do great and mighty things. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Around, known around the world as God's telephone number. And here, uh, it's an interesting thing. In India and Africa, as we travel around the world, oh, God's telephone number. Yeah, Jeremiah 333. You know, it's pretty easy to remember, right? Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And so I'd like us to take a look at these, this verse for a moment. You notice there are two parts. The first part is our part, where God commands us, call to me. The second, uh, the second part is God's part, where he says, I will answer you. Let's look at God's part first. He says, I will answer you. He doesn't say, I will answer you 50% of the time, or 90% of the time, or 99% of the time. He says, I will answer you every single time time. There's only one condition. And by the way, he not only says, I'll answer you, he says, I will do great, I will tell you, and, or the original says, I will show you great and mighty things. Or is God's going to show us and even do great and mighty things when we pray. This is backed up by Matthew 7, 7, which says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. God is saying, hey, Ask, because I want to answer you. Well, why then is it that we don't see all our prayers answered? I think the, the, the answer to that question is found in the first part of the verse. You notice that God says, call to me. Or in Matthew 7, 7, in the New Testament, he says, ask. Now, those two verbs, take you back to English 101, they are in the present tense. It's not you called to me once and said, oh God, please give me a happy marriage, and all of a sudden everything's fine. No, it's not called, you, did, you once called to me. It's not you will call to me one day, you'll pray and God will answer your prayers. No, it's in the present tense. It could be translated, 
keep on calling, continue to call to me. In other words, this is not a one-time little prayer you show up to God, oh God, please make my marriage right. It's when we seek God with all our heart and we continue to call to Him until we are sure He has answered. It says also in Jeremiah 29, you shall seek me and you shall find me when you search for me with all your heart. You notice that? In other words, we are to seek after God and continue to Seek Him until we can be sure that He has answered. Here's the way it works, men and women. God's here and we're here. We come to Him with something we want. Like, please give me a better marriage. Please help me be a great student. Show me the right career for me. Whatever. You say, we begin to pray. And then we begin to realize that prayer is not talking to God. Many of us think that's what it is. Oh God, gimme, gimme, gimme. But no, prayer is a conversation with God. And when we're talking to the living God, what's the most important part of the conversation? Is it what we say to Him, or is it what He says to us? Well, it's what He says to us. I remember when I was introduced to the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States some years ago. Now, when that happened, I didn't say, hey, Judge, let me tell you all about me and my ministry and this and that. Tell me, 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 me. No. I said, Your Honor, it's a privilege to meet you. And I listened to see what he would say. Because he's the chief justice of the top court in the land. And, you know, I'm a citizen of the nation. And so I listened to him first. And when we come into the presence of God, who is 10 billion, billion times greater than the chief justice of the Supreme Court, we ought to come into his presence to listen to what he says. And then what happens is this. We ask to God to speak to us. And we listen to Him. How do you listen to Him? Through the Bible. And through putting the Bible down. And as it says in Psalm 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. God wants to speak to us. In fact, He promises in John 14 that the Holy Spirit, He will teach you all things. But my friends, you and I can't be taught by the Holy Spirit if we don't take time to listen to the Holy Spirit. And so all the great men and women of God of history have taken time alone each day so they can be alone with God, so they can listen to Him. Speak to them through His Word and through the Holy Spirit as they sit and listen. And i found over the years that that time spent alone with God, listening to Him, is the secret of power. Because God says that when we listen to Him, then we can discern His will. And here's what happens. Here you are, here He is. He begins to speak to you about what He wants. And instead of praying for what you want, you begin to come into alignment with His will. And you pray not for what you want, but for what He wants. The ultimate prayer, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Let me ask you a question. If you pray for God's will, how often is he going to answer? Every single time. When we pray for the will of God, God unleashes his power in our life. Because we're in alignment with his purposes and with what he wants to do. This pattern of seeking God 
you see in all the great men of the Bible. Take David as an example. The great king of Israel. And the great, 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 great grandfather of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. If you read the Psalms, half of which were written by David, you notice over and over again, he says, Oh Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer to you and look up. He says, Oh Lord, I will cry to you at noon. He says, Lord, I will meditate on you in the night watches. Wait a minute, that's morning, noon, and night. That David said, I'm going to pray. And so, David exemplifies that life of being in contact with God, as does every other major figure in the Bible. How about Daniel? How did he get the power to become the second most powerful man on earth? He was the one who ruled the kingdom under Nebuchadnezzar. When the Babylonian Empire was the largest of any empire in the history of the world. How did he get to be second in command? Well, we read that three times a day, Daniel went and he opened his windows toward Jerusalem because he was in Babylon. He opened his windows toward Jerusalem and he poured out his heart to God. And out of that time alone with God came the power, came the wisdom that made Daniel known as the wisest man on earth. What about Jesus himself? You would think that the Son of God, he, he already knew God's will. Why would he have to pray? And yet, as we read the Bible, as we read the Gospels, you notice that Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness to pray. Early in the morning, oftentimes, and sometimes all night long. Right before choosing his disciples, right before he went to the cross, he prayed all night long. Now, if the Son of God needed to spend hours and hours in prayer to have the kind of direction and power that it takes to live a godly life what about you and me we need god's power we need his direction and that comes when we spend time with him this has been the secret of the great leaders in christian history too you know what martin luther said that i am so busy i must spend three hours a day in prayer he said if i don't spend four or five hours a day in prayer On the really busy days, he said, the devil gets the best of me throughout the day. Then we have John Wesley. John Wesley was the most prolific preacher in history. He preached an average of three to five times a day. They say preaching once, well, is like working an eight-hour day. I don't know, but but it's a burden. It takes a lot of energy out of you. Wesley preached for three to five times every day. Amazing. For like 50 years, more than any other person in history that I know of, how did he get the power to do that? At 4 o'clock every morning, Wesley, Wesley rose to spend two hours alone with God. And from that came the power that fueled the Wesleyan revival. What's the biggest church in the world today? Anybody know? I bet some of you do. But... Um, To make it easy, I'll just tell you. The largest church in the world is pastored by Paul Young-Hee Cho in South Korea. It has over half a million people attending each week. Half a million people. How do they do that? We have a huge sanctuary and multiple, multiple services. And wow, how in the world did he build that church? You know what he says? 
Paul Young Cho said, you cannot build a church on an hour of prayer a day. I pray three hours when dealing with believers and five hours when dealing with non-believers. Now, you might be here today and say, three hours of prayer? What in the world would I do? You know, five hours of prayer, that's incredible. How could I do that? But God doesn't ask most of us to start there. You know, he wants us to start with having a prayer life to some degree, you know, spending a shorter amount of time alone with him each day. Let me ask you this. Do you have a dynamic, regular prayer time in your life? Because if you don't, you are missing out on the greatest single source of power and direction that you could ever have. The first step in the Christian life is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your God. And most of you have done that. But so many Christians haven't necessarily done the second thing. The second thing is now that Christ is your Lord, well, now that Christ is our Lord, I'll say, we need to spend time with Him, listening to Him, reading His Word, allowing Him to speak to us. And then each day, surrendering our lives anew to Him. I don't know about you, but um, I have to surrender my life to Christ every day because you know, they say, oh, put your life on the altar. But I have a habit of crawling off the altar, you know, and doing what I want to do. So every day, we have to come to God and submit our life to Him. And hear what He wants us to do. And when we do that, we feel the power. I want you to feel the power. Do you? I hope so. But if you don't, you can. Because Christ is inviting you to spend time with Him, to receive the power of the filling of the Holy Spirit day after day. When you do this, it's amazing what God will do. I remember I had a chance to speak, uh, speak around the country. I was, I was first um, a national speaker. After being a pastor, I was a national speaker with Campus Crusade, now called Crew. And I spoke to campuses across the country. And then we founded New Fire for Christ, our current organization. And we go all over the world doing evangelistic campaigns. There's maybe 10,000 people a night coming, a little bit like Billy Graham, um, not nearly as well known as him, but we see thousands of people around the world coming to Christ. It is fantastic. But we learned early on when we were starting with Campus Crusade that if there was not much prayer that went into these, these crusades, we would never see much happen. And so prayer is what's really made things happen as we traveled around the world. Anyway, back to when I was speaking on campuses with crew, we did a retreat one time and I challenged uh, several hundred students and the staff who were there to make prayer the first and number one priority in their ministry. Well, I went my way and I hoped that they did it. They said they would, but I didn't hear anything back. A year went by, two years went by, five years went by, six years. Finally, I, I got a call from the director of Campus Crusade's ministry at Penn State, which is one of the largest crusade movements in the country. Anyway, he called me and he said, uh, Bob, you remember when you talked to us on prayer back, you know, six years ago? <laughs> I said, I think I do remember a little bit. He said, well, I just want you to know that we took it to heart. You said that should be the foundation of our ministry. So we went and we started a prayer meeting. We got up early in the morning. At 6 o'clock, which for college students and staff is very early, you know. 
And he said, we would go to the student center and we prayed. And said, Bob, we prayed. i got to tell you, we prayed for two or three months we did this. And nothing happened. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I was apologizing. And I said, but he said, no, no. He said, but let me tell you, after three months, the windows of heaven opened. And something happened. He said, we were going, as usual, just two or three of us to come and pray in the student center. At, I think it was 6 o'clock on Friday morning. Not a time when students are usually there, you know. And he said, we had, after two or three months, we had two or three more people join us. And then 10 people would pray. And then we had 20. And we had 30. We had 50, 100, 200, 300 400 students coming to the student center at 7 o'clock on Friday morning to pour their hearts out to God. He said, we have seen something we have never seen happen at Penn State before. Because we have prayed, students are coming to us and saying, what's going on with you guys? How can we have what you have? He said, we are seeing hundreds of students come to Christ at Penn State. We've never seen it before. And it's because of the power of prayer. And I said, thank you for calling. Because it's just one more story. Every single time we see God, or a group of people especially, seek the Lord, God unleashes His power. You know, I remember being at an a, a international conference with Billy Graham. And Dr. Graham's been a great example to us younger guys, you know, evangelists. And I remember he came to the podium with about 10,000 people, evangelists from around the world. And he said, there are three secrets to every good thing we have ever seen happen. Really, there's just three secrets that I need to share with you about our ministry. Because these are the three secrets of everything we've ever seen happen. He said, the first secret is prayer. So I'm writing this down. I'm, as, a, as a guy getting into evangelism some years ago, I said, prayer, that's number one. Yeah, that's got to be number one. He said, number two is prayer. So I'm writing that down. I think, wait a minute, that was number one. <laughs> he said, number three is prayer. And he turned around. He sat down. Because it sunk in to the thousands of men there and women. Wow. This is what it's all about. We must develop prayer movements if we're going to see God shape the world for Christ. And ever since then, we've found that everywhere we go, if the men and women of God will give themselves to prayer, God will unleash His power. I'd like to give you a very specific way you can pray today. Many of you already have a daily prayer time. Many of you probably do not. But whether you do or do not, I'd like to ask you to make what we call the 30-30 commitment today. It's not that long a commitment. It's just for 30 days. But for 30 days, at least, I'd like to ask you to commit to pray for 30 minutes a day. Okay? The 30-30 commitment. To read the Bible and pray for 30 minutes a day for at least the next 30 days. And then... I trust that you'll continue it as a habit, but try make a commitment for 30 days. 
If you miss one day, you know, God's not going to forsake you. But if you will commit to pray for 30 days, it becomes a habit in your life. That's what they say. If you do something for 30 days, it can become a habit. I'd like you to continue it the rest of your life. The Lord would too, I believe. But in a minute, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you will make the commitment to read the Bible and pray for 30 minutes a day for at least the next 30 days. Because this 30-30 commitment has changed many lives around the world. It can change your life too. And so I'd like us to bow our heads, if we could. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you're here today and God is speaking to you and he's saying, I want you to to spend at least 30 minutes a day with me for at least the next 30 days. And you say, I'm willing to do that. And maybe you're already doing it. And if you're already doing it, you can raise your hands and say, I recommit to it. But whether you're recommitting or committing for the first time to read the Bible and pray for 30 minutes a day for at least the next 30 days, would you indicate that you're willing to do that and going to do that by raising your hand right now? God bless you. Just raise your hand. Many of you, most of you, are saying, I want to do this. God bless you. Please put your hand down and let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you for these wonderful men and women. And as they read the Bible and pray for at least 30 minutes a day, for the next 30 days, I ask that you would... Speak to them, bless them, and that you would give them a power that they have never seen before at work in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations, the big majority of you who said, I'm going to do this. Now, I'd like you to do one more thing. I think we have index cards distributed, all right? If you have your index card, I'd like you to, I'd like you to write on here. Sometimes writing it down makes it a little bit clearer. So if you would put your name and address on the card, and if you would put PW, if you, or excuse me, just put P, if you said that you're, let me, let me revise that, excuse me. Put PW, that means prayer warrior. A prayer warrior is someone who says, I'm going to pray every day for 30 minutes a day, okay? So put PW on your card if you raise your hand. And then, uh, I'd like you also, if you are interested in getting some updates from us at New Fire for Christ, in addition to the great input you get right here being at the church with Pastor Jason and others, if you would like to be on our email list and we talk about prayer from time to time on that list, give you some things to pray for, give you some tips about how to pray, then just put New Fire on your card as well as your address, okay? So you're going to put your name and address. And then if you've made this commitment, then you put PW, Prayer Warrior. And then if you would like to get some information from us so that I can pray for New Fire for Christ, also put New Fire. All right? So your name and address, PW if you made this commitment, and then New Fire if you'd like to keep in touch. Um, and if you would just leave your cards, would be just leave them in the pew? Okay. If you fill it out, leave it in the pew, that would be great. And I would greatly appreciate it if you would do that and we'll keep in touch. God bless you and it is a delight to be with you today. I'll be praying for you.
Thank you, Dr. Boyd. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. You know, it's been my experience when I commit to do something. It's been my experience the, the best thing to do is do it right there in that moment. Not wait till tomorrow. Not wait until there's a convenient time. But right now. And here's what I know about some of you who are sitting here right now. You desire the power of God to be at work in your life. You need the power of God to be at work in your life. But there is a distance between you and God because you've sinned and you're not a child of God. You're not a redeemed person of God. You've never repented of your sin and asked Christ to forgive you and take over your life. And before you do anything else, you need to make your relationship with Christ real and right. And I want to invite you in just a moment to come get on your knees and invite Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. Tell Him that you are turning from your sin, that you believe that Christ died to pay for your sin, that you're going to live the rest of your life for Him. And then for many of you this morning, I know many of you, and I know your struggles. And I know many of you, your heart to see your friends and family redeemed. This morning, I want to invite you to come and pray for them. And also to pray for yourself. What Dr. Boyd said is true. It's not that we pray once and wait and see. It's that we continue in prayer. And I want to invite you today to ask God to enable you to continue in prayer for the lost and that God would give you the conviction he gave that young lady to share the gospel to lead more people to anchor their life in hope in Jesus and I want to ask you to make that commitment today and to ask God to do it to ask God to do it so let's stand together and let's pray together as we prepare to respond Father God, whether we know it to the full extent, I, I doubt. But what we do know is that we need you. Lord, we need you. We need your power at work in our life. And you have told us in your word that that power is through prayer. It's through us committing time and then acting in faith according to your word and crying out to you, our God. And asking you to do a miracle. To do a miracle in us that we would trust. To do a miracle in the lives of those who are lost that they would be saved. To do a miracle in our families and in our relationships. That you would heal what is broken. And that you would restore what has been lost. And God, that there would be renewal, spiritual renewal in our family of faith. In our individual families and in our individual lives. Right now, God, would you call us to our knees to respond in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.